Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. For the first time we had politicians there celebrating the Queensland brewing industry and a bunch of young brewers got up on stage and shotgunned beers, you know, smashing a tinny or shoeys and inviting the politicians up on stage to do that. And I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen at a wine event. And that has a huge impact when, as an industry, you go, hold on, we're, we're, we're good actors. Don't legislate against alcohol. And the politician that you're sort of speaking to goes, hold on, weren't you the bloke that was up on stage inviting me to shotgun a tin of beer with you? Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 14 July 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Good morning, Sabrina. Hi, Matt. And welcoming back General Manager of Hospitality of Felons Brewing Company, Jim Gold. Welcome G'day, back, Matt. Jim. G'day, thank you. What, what a morning. In a row. What yeah. an honour to be back. What a morning to be a Queenslander, just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, let's not be too parochial. We, we're a national podcast and uh, not everyone follows the football, but uh, I, I, I did League. get to go. Well, it's football. How was it? It looked pretty full. And, 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 and full disclosure, I'm... Enjoyed the hospitality. Well, I enjoyed two tickets from line. I didn't enjoy the hospitality. I was drinking Great Northern, ironically, which was interesting. But uh, yeah, no, I, I got two tickets and they were very good seats and uh, great memories. Game. Great game watching uh, football with a great friend uh, over a beer, and it really didn't matter what the beer was. I have, I have to say, good. So anyway, on with the news. Now, there's not too much news this week, and we're going to probably just depart from our recent format because one of the news stories really relates to some of the feedback that we've had and some other things. So we're going to pretty much just roll straight into the news and the discussion. Um, so if you're waiting for Below the Fold, don't. Headlining the news this week is a little story from each month or each quarter we do trademarks. We keep an eye on the trademark activity because that's a very good indicator. It's a leading indicator of what we can expect to see. And this story is headed, No Low Trademarks Outpace Category Growth. As media attention on Dry July enters full swing, and no doubt you've seen lots of media where everyone's jumping on the uh, NOLO bandwagon, recent trademark activity suggests a continued surge of entrance for the NOLO category as well. During the three-month period between April to June 2022, 364 trademarks were lodged with IP Australia in category 32 being beer. 67 of these were listed as no-alcohol trademarks. However, despite the hype around the category, the growth in new entrants appears to outpace the growth in the market. Uh, and some of the data points that we referenced there were in 2016, AB InBev announced its ambition that its no and low alcohol products would represent at least 20% of its global beer volume by the end of 2025. They recently announced, announced that they would miss this target and they're sitting at below 6% for that category. And when you hear no low... A definition is probably important because no low for them included beers that would uh, be mid-strength in Australia, so essentially 4X gold and below. Um, at the same time, the IWSR study said that no low alcohol beverages, which is all beverages, beer, cider, wine, spirits and ready-to-drink RTD products, held a 3.5% volume share in 2021, and they expected that to grow roughly about 8% annualised. And another little data point I'm going to throw in there is also we recently saw Big Drop, which is a British um, no-low alcohol maker, has recently closed its no-low store. They said that it's just because there are other more viable alternatives to buy uh, no-low online, but I've also heard that it's because sales aren't where they perhaps could otherwise be. So take that for, for granted. Now, at the same time, we had an email. So that was the news story, and then we had an email uh, from a listener Wondering uh, if we had any idea of the impact on the industry of Dry July or other such initiatives. Are drinking establish establishments fearful, um, so to speak, of such times? He then uh, followed up with having experienced this weekend, and I think that means he went out, 
Um, it was a large one. He feels that his question probably isn't valid uh, as venues probably aren't taking a hit from dry July. Any comments on the news story on the trademarks activity versus the actual sales data before we get into maybe talking to Jimmy about what he's seen as at one of Brisbane's largest uh, venues? Um, so when I took a look at the trademarks, I had a look at some of them specifically. It certainly seems, you know, that the point that was covered off in the article that there are new entrants to market. So these are not necessarily breweries or wineries or other producers adding a line extension so that they can have a full offering. This is, I'm marketing company Y. I see that I've got a really fancy name um, that has a pun on no elk and I'm now introducing six uh, six named brands and uh, six products and that was replicated several times so that is not there's not one company who's jumping in on it there's certainly in a lot of new businesses where a lot of new businesses that are not grounded in um, currently in the adult drinks alcohol space who are saying and this sort of ties back to a point that you've made, Mike, and sort of actually links into the question um, uh, from the listener, which is that there is so much media hype out there that certainly during dry July, I mean, I've seen article after article in the ABC quoting professors who then you dig into where that professor is from and why they have an interest in spruiking dry July, that the volume of interest in um, the non-ALK space as a talking point for Dry July is huge. Yep. Um, and it almost seems to be sort of a circular effect where people from outside the industry who don't understand the the adult drinks or alcohol industry are going, oh, massive opportunity, I've got a fabulous pun, I do marketing, here's my new brands. Um, certainly the manufacturing is not nearly as complex as al- or regulated as alcohol. It's so a little it's a- bit like Christmas. It's a little bit like, um, you know, when – or Melbourne Cup, you know, plan your party, you know, these are the products you should buy. You know, Christmas you want this style of beer. Easter you want this style of beer. And you know, Dry July has almost become a a, a, a sales holiday. It, um, it really, I mean, it was really sh- interesting to dig into some of those trademarks specifically. So I sort of draw those two together because when I read this question from the listener, I was like, I have been inundated with marketing material around Dry July, Dry yep. July from. Brands, alcohol brands, non-alc brands from the media generally, from every single news source available, talking about it. But that's, you know, one of the biggest advertisers is the retail business. And we know that Woolworths is very big on um, no-alc. Um, and so they're pushing it. And you've got a there is that element, as I've said in the past, man bites dog about it. You know, alcohol, beer without the booze is just one of those headlines. And then you've also got them wanting to support major advertisers. And there are a lot of other um, advertisers, you know, in in the alcohol industry who are interested in it as well. But the whole thing, you guys, this will be a reference that probably won't land with... Try it, with, try with, it. Um, we'll see. Okay, in, in the <laughs> 80s, there was this big thing called herhoba. Um, you know, it's a plant that, you know, had, I think, aloe vera or, you know, essentially... Oh, uh, yeah. So, and suddenly it was businesses spruiking it's the miracle product you know it's it's aloe vera is going to cure everything and then in the 90s it was ostrich farming you know you just need a couple of ostriches you can sell the eggs you can sell the feathers that you can sell the meat you can sell you know sell the leather all of these things and suddenly ostrich farms were everywhere and it just doesn't pan out and you know but it pulls sucks in so much money i spoke to one business this week that has launched um you know a, a fairly grand no alk product and they've raised about $600,000, um, you know, capital um, just on what, what you were saying. They've got an idea, but when you dig a little bit deeper, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, I gave up alcohol, you know, I've got this guy who's making the beer for me and, you know, here is our marketing strategy, but, and we've got people who are investing as if that's all you need to succeed in the market. You know, there's not a lot of talk about customers or, and even the, the data they gave about the growth of the market, they'd misread the figures. So, but so Jimmy, how are you? See, how did how have you been seeing it, like on premise? You know, reflected in what customers are asking for, or what you're actually selling, or well, we, trade. Yeah, I mean, we kind of a little bit strategically leaned into some non-out products um, at Fallon's and just at Howsmith Walls in general for Dry July, just because we started thinking about it a couple of months ago and said, well, that's probably a good time of year to aim for, which makes sense. It's like selling. 
Christmas pudding at Christmas. It's yep, like, exactly. well, yeah, yeah, why yeah. wouldn't you do it? You know, um, but that does mean you start a Christmas pudding business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, you know, maybe people want pudding year round. Um, <laughs> but you know, for us, we sold out on the weekend. We had some non-alcoholic wine, some non-alcoholic cocktails, and Saturday night we sold out. So now we've tripled the amount of stock and we have. It was a Big, you, you were saying off mic that it was a big crowd. There was something about the weekend that it was just a massive, a, a, a big night. Yeah, a massive night. Now, so it didn't. Did, so, dry July didn't stop people from coming to the venue. No, and I think this is a really okay, so important sure, thing yep. to kind of dig down on, and it's maybe a little bit of a bigger conversation than this. But just because time. you're not, we got lots of time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just because we're not, someone's not drinking doesn't mean they can't go out and socialize, right? And that's yeah. what I've always seen these products. As. Exactly. Yep. They're the thing that you can have in your hand when you're in a group of sophisticated adult contemporary beverage. <laughs> in context. Perfectly put. Um, and that's that's really all it is. And I, I actually went out on Monday night. We had a, a dinner for someone who's going away and I had three non-alc wines over the course of the dinner because it's just everyone's celebrating. I'm doing dry July and I said, well, I don't want to drink soft drink or soda water and yep. have this thing. So. Now, I just want to go back to your point when you said that you sold out because that's one of those things that, oh, geez, you know, you, you've got the biggest you know, venue in Brisbane selling out of alcohol-free. That, you know, that's a, a huge... Now, what percentage of your total sales did that make up? Yeah. Um, very, you know. very little. I <laughs> yes. mean, it's not, you know, I don't have, you know, there's not the, you know, the, the felon's truck <laughs> topping up a, you know, 5,000 litre bright tank with bloody non-alc whatever. It's, no. It's Which is what it, but there's clearly demand. People are clearly, there are there is obviously a use case where a percentage of people who are at the venue are drinking alcohol free. But if you've been cleaned out of the, you know, the the the, the five legacy bottles of alcohol-free wine <laughs> that you hadn't been yeah, able to sell, we only had two bottles. In, yeah. fairness, yeah. I think, in fairness, I think I've been to felons when you've sold out of the IPA. So yeah, like, it does in, happen. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think the point there is that Dry July is driving consumer behaviour in part, but it's not actually stopping people coming to experience, to have the hospitality experience. And if you didn't have that product offering, there may be people who weren't coming or that were having to have a soda water for $2 as opposed to, I don't know, what a non-alc something costs. Um, can clearly see where I sit on the fence there. <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean? Like it's actually, it's that point around having a brand extension or totally. having an offering as part of a hospitality experience as opposed to there is enough in this to stop your day job and create a marketing company and have eight alcohol beverages and you're going to take over the world. Non-alc I mean, I, I just liken it to, I just liken it on the, on the food side. So if you didn't have a vego or a vegan option, yeah. people used, used to just have a bowl of chips. So you're getting $9, 10 out of someone. But if you have a vegan patty and a vegan cheese and a vegan aioli, then you're getting $24 and then they feel like they can actually eat a meal with their... Yep. Friends, yeah. family, whatever. So but you don't have to make that vegan patty yourself. You can buy somebody can buy else's. That. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. If we're going to use that, torture that analogy a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it is. I mean, it's it's providing. You know, it's back in the day you couldn't get gluten free, and then it was this, and it was, and now you can go and pretty much most menus you can you can meet a, most folks' dietary requirements or preferences can be met. From a standard menu these days. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, if your preference is non-alg for whatever reason, dry July or otherwise, um, you know, it can be met at a venue and you're not excluded from going to that venue. Yeah, I mean, that's for us, that's really the test case at the moment is, yes, there's a bit of rose-tinted glasses for what's happening right now with dry July with more, more people not drinking, but then we'll keep these products, but who knows? It might exactly. halve, yeah. it might, yeah, mm. we don't know, but... I mean, just from going around, I was in Sydney maybe a month, two months ago, and you know, I went to some venues, and there were venues with entire beverage menus of non-alc. Mm. So they had four or five beers, mm. two, three ciders, you know, your non-alc seltzer, soda water, whatever you want to call it, wines, all this stuff. Like it's a full, full menu. So I, you can't ignore that. There's people don't do. You don't leave stuff on your menu that's not selling. Is yeah. my experience. So yeah, right. I look around and kind of go, okay, there's clearly enough trade and interest here to warrant having it on your printed menu, having it on the bar somewhere. It'll just be a case of, well, is it just a bit of a, are we just going through a massive non-alc phase right now or is this kind of 
a bigger picture thing where we actually in five years' time go, wow, you know, venues can operate without a liquor licence because people are now just super cool with socialising without booze. Who knows? It's really interesting, you know, as you were speaking there, I was thinking about um, we have often talked about trying to bring more people to the beer market and um, because we've been arguing about what is actually the use case for beer and you wouldn't come to non-alc beer if you hadn't gotten a taste for beer because of, you know, the palate of it. But from a hospitality experience, that's actually irrelevant. You may be bringing new people to a hospitality experience who wouldn't go out because they see that as an as a place for alcohol. So a brewery is a place you go to drink alcohol. Whereas if they go, I can go along with a group of five other people as a person who doesn't drink at all, but I can enjoy that hospitality experience now because I feel really included. You know, there might be one percent of them. Mm. <laughs> there may be one percent of people that you can actually bring into your hospitality venue. You make your money on your food, um, and that actually then makes the community side of breweries, that sort of piece around breweries being the place to meet, you know, there is a new consumer, there is a new hospitality consumer in that, not necessarily a new non-alc. But incidentally, that was also one of my arguments that whenever I used to speak to people who are opening craft beer bars and they, oh, we're just going to be this, we're just going to be, you know, purist. I was like, just keep half a carton of Forex Gold just in the fridge, don't advertise it because if you've got a group of five friends who are, four of them are craft beer heads and one of them will only, oh, I don't want beer that tastes, I don't want beer that tastes like beer. And they will ask you for a 4X gold. Is this your experience? You know, like somebody might, yeah. yeah and, absolutely. Um, still to this day, it. still to this day, you know, there's, there's <laughs> you know, the massive function, you know, 400 people, but the CEO only drinks whatever. And you go, well, okay, well, they're going to spend this much money. <laughs> Am I not going to have that? In the fridge for that one person, yeah, discreetly. And if they're going to take the other four with them, totally, yeah. 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 And yeah. We, we've actually sent cases of beer to people to try and like pre, I guess, like sway them onto whatever you know. But sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. again, you got to just make that call. I mean, fortunately, these days there is a great selection of you know craft lagers that you can put out there that is a little bit more consistent with the you know like you don't you don't want to have forex signs in your bar. That's not what I was arguing, but. The people who who want forex, you know, will come up and they'll look at the taps, and then they'll just go, or you know, or, or twoies or reshes or whatever. They'll look at the taps and go, "Oh, mate, you haven't got reshes, have you?" And you go, "Well, actually, yeah, I do." Yeah. They're happy. They're not going to drag. <laughs> That'll the other be people fifteen dollars a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's taps. a premium product. Behind the bar. Fortunately, these days, if you you know, you, you, you can do a very good approximation of some of those mainstream lagers. Um, and uh, although, as as we've. Uh, we saw Peroni um, was the champion Pilsner. So you can just even stock Peroni and educate some of those craft beer nerds that it was a gold medal winning Pilsner. Trophy winning Pilsner, I should say. It, it, this, I just think it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I've hated all the Dry July advertising because so much of it is egregious advertising for brands that is actually completely devoid of That's what, what marketing dry, is. Marketing is an arms race with our powers of, critic- of of critical thinking. Um, but there are, I still think there is going to be a use case long-term for non-alc adult beverages. Um, it's just probably more consistent with the numbers, the, the factual data that we're seeing at 3.5% or, or not 20% yeah. of the total adult beverage market. And let's market. face it, if AB InBev is running up the white flag to some extent, not completely, but if, you know, they're even talking about mid-strength. They, it was really funny in 2016 when AB InBev, or 2017 when they made that statement, they owned CUB here, and they talked about the Australian market was already 20%, um, you know, in this category. But that's because Australia is a bit of an outlier because we have this high, this highly established mid-strength market yeah. that goes back to it, our heavy drinking culture and a change in drink driving laws. And Forex Gold was one of our biggest selling beers um, at three what three point five percent. So that was where they said it. And even you know globally, they haven't been able to get to that twenty percent when they're holding up Australia as an example. And if you're joining the rush, if you're one of those 67 brands, and some of them are big brands, like I saw Pernod Ricard was one that had mm-hmm. it, you know, the Jomo was one of theirs, the joy of missing out. Mm-hmm. And again, going to your thought, clever name, 
um, and we'll just sort of put something on it. But if you've got AB InBev that has some of the biggest beer brands in the world and some of the biggest advertising budgets and they're still not getting a, a significant lift, um, you know, what's your little one-idea startup going to do? Oh, look, and there is always the one, you know, athletic because the example you used last week, there's always the one that really nails it, that does really well. But this is, I keep coming back to my argument, I think we'll end up seeing in the Australian market, um, most breweries will have a a brand extension so they'll have a non-alt product if they they have the skills to make it themselves in-house and do it well. And if it doesn't sell, they'll stop selling it and buy in um, from one or two or three non-alc beer producers that you know we've said that before the heaps normal or the sober that have really invested in doing it well um and they and they will end up being the it's like buying in a cider right or buying in a whatever they'll end up buying in whatever their local non-alc is just Um, out of interest when you say that athletic is doing well what's your basis for that well they are one of the what are they like top they're in the top 20 of the site in volume so that Uber, has to be going somewhere. Uber is the biggest car, you know, driving company. I'm not saying it can't all crumble down, well, but the, the but facts well, are the facts of where it's at today, right? This is where it's funny. I see, you know, businesses that are pitching for, for money um, at, at the moment are going, we, you know, we've got this much media attention, we've got this, we've got mm. this, and none of it is about, you know, um, profit. Um, or anything like that, and I, I don't know about athletic, but I, you know, I've read a lot about them and how they, you know, got involved in every running festival and those sort of and those sorts of things. But if if they're using a lot of investment and they've got a lot of equity, um, private equity money, but so does Uber, so did WeWork. Um, you know, you're sort of going. The fact that you're big doesn't mean that you're successful if you're not making money out of that oh. bigness. The bigness. Yeah. God, that's why you're editor at large. <laughs> but no, absolutely. It, I mean, it's interesting and not to go back to something that we've been seeing a lot of, but, um, you know, we don't talk – we talk a lot about revenue. We don't talk a lot about profit um, yep. in in a whole range of – Well, because profit's a, a pretty inconvenient thing to have to talk about, isn't it? Yeah. Particularly I'm, when you're equity crowdfunding. Well, we don't talk about taxes and, and politics and, and money, right? So – um, I definitely think, you know, a- Athletic are doing well now. We've yep. got a couple of... And, and I don't know if they're making... I just want to say, you know, yep. we, we, we very easily sort of say they're big, they're successful, and I've not looked into it. But, but we do I've have... I've reached out to Bill to um, get him on the podcast, by the way, Bill Schaffelt, who's one of the founders. But we do have local examples, like Soba are really, um, you know, that's the local Queensland example, but they had a really clear use case for what they were doing. Yep. They had a clear business plan for what they were doing. They are sticking to their lane. They are doing the work. They are um, really investing in the community that they want to be invested in as a business. Um, and but they've got an interesting dimension. They've got – and go back and listen to that podcast because it's, it's really if – if, particularly if you're in the industry and you think you're um, uh, sober um, with yep. Lozen and Clinton. Yeah, no, because because I went back and listened to it again, and it just it, it was really really insight. So they've they've got what almost everybody who's entering the the no alk space has got. I used to drink too much, and I became aware, and I, I stopped drinking, which is Clinton. But then they've got so much else going on, and he was the one of the first people who really enunciated a clear statement for that um, sophisticated contemporary adult beverage. Um, here in we'll call it scab. Um. No, <laughs> no, okay, we will not. Uh, well, you know, FMCG, you know, SCAB. Um, but he, he was one of the first ones that really clearly enunciated that. But then they've got this whole other um, provenance play about uh, yep. native indigenous ingredients, which ties back to their um, you know, personal story um, and adds a, like an old, for, to coin a phrase, adds a whole f- different flavour to the offer in that, you know, it, it's not just we're a beer brand selling beer to people who don't want to drink alcohol we have this whole brand offer um, that, that's very sophisticated. And they're five years old, so mm. they're not part of the last two years' worth of... Started ma- very slowly. Um, have built, have, and, mm. and that's my point, right? They have a clear brand, they have a clear vision, and that is the example of um, they, they're building a product and a brand that was not 
a reaction to hype, yep. like many of the patents that are being the trademarks that are being lodged today, right? Yep. That very much feel reactionary rather than as you said, someone who's got a good idea, or the, or for for the breweries, oh, a couple of mates, you know, in you know, in the garage on a Saturday afternoon, going, oh, mate, you, you make some pretty good beer. We should open a brewery. You should make some pretty good. You brew some great non-alts. <laughs> okay, um, I think we've got no low, um, but go read the trademarks if you are interested. It's very very interesting. ABAC complaints continue to decline. ABAC complaints continued to fall in the second quarter of 2022, according to the Alcohol Advertising Watchdog's latest quarterly report. 21 complaints were made between April and June this year, a stable pattern of decline following the 27 complaints made last quarter. Eight of the complaints were determinations, with half being upheld by the considering panels. We'll have a link in the show notes to those. Um, Good to see. You know, it's... uh that's a pretty small number of complaints given the number of products that go out in the market. And considering the scrutiny that yeah, the industry is under. Yeah, I feel like it's going the other way though. As in, I feel like there's more stuff that I see that's kind of lolly water that they're calling lolly water. But I don't know, maybe it's like every pub I've run, there's always that one neighbour who hates you and always phones in and complains. Yes. <laughs> maybe whoever was making all these complaints is well, on a holiday fair. or something. Th- this, is yeah. Yeah, this, yes. this is Matt's no, that's point. <laughs> we, which is, you know, the, the irony is the people who won't, who say that ABAC is legitimate are the people who make the most complaints to it and have driven the greatest change in consumer marketing through ABAC because it actually has teeth. Um but yeah, so they're the noisy neighbour who just and they've been going back and trolling people's fa- you know, breweries Facebook posts over years. Mm. Um, you know, so breweries like Pirate Life have been you know trolled. Um. But I agree with you. I've seen a couple of beers launched recently that I've kind of done a double take and been I'm like, not "How raunchy?" No, that was because that's just, just bad taste. That was appalling. Don't. I mean, I'm seeing so much more you know tasting notes of. You know, like tastes like Freddo frogs and you know, yep. like actual lollies, and you're like, well, that's the infantilization of beer as opposed to the marketing of beer. It's just making beer look stupid and childish <laughs> as opposed to targeting children. Yeah, so I won't mention the beer, but it was sort of a play on the the game Candy Crush, and you saw the thing, mm. and I thought there was candies all over it, and I just thought that to me, immediately, notwithstanding that mi- millions of adults the world over play that stupid game on their phone, the second you see can lollies yep. candies on the outside of a beer can i went straight to marketing to children and um i don't i haven't looked at the abac complaints but i have increasingly seen ones like that like you said tastes like freddo frog from a you know it, it's play it's trying to play on nostalgia for now adults but it really comes very close if not jumps the line of something that a kid might pick up and think yeah that doesn't contain alcohol. But do you want to take all the fun out of brewing? No, I love. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Freddo frogs. Like, uh, yeah, I don't love want, Freddo. Yeah, well, so do I. And sometimes, you know, wash it down with a stout. But I don't necessarily want the two in the same. You don't package. want a Freddo frog stout. No. Well, maybe okay. some people do want it in the same package. Well, clearly people but, do, but it's but makes beer. It does, doesn't make beer look like a sophisticated contemporary adult beverage. Does no, it? I don't even care about how it. I, I don't care about that bit. I mean, that's not <laughs> my bit. Is that um back to the sort of the point of ABAC, right, we have to be so – there cannot be a situation in which a child looks at a product that is for – that is a sophisticated adult beverage and goes, that looks like something that I might want, Mm. right? The reason they put wiggles and colours on the outside of like children's yoghurt is to try and get the child to be like, that looks like something I want as opposed to that package that looks like it's designed for adults. It's the same with beers. We should be making them look like – very clearly, they're designed for adults. They're not designed for children, yeah. and and that's all I care about. Put whatever you want on the inside. I have a, a maybe it's not controversial, but I always find it really interesting that you know watching. I didn't know, I didn't actually watch it, but State of Origin last night. You know, every player's got a four X logo on their shirt, and yep. how many kids watch footy? Oh. Well, funny, uh, Fair came out and basically said that this week, and it, it you know it, it's. Benson Hedges advertising in the cricket in the eighties. It's you know it 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 it, it is. Um, although this year they actually put the postcode on. It wasn't the forex, so they changed the forex um, to a postcode. But okay. so it's really fascinating. So I sat on a bunch of boards for rugby league in New Zealand, um, and so this question of alcohol and sport, uh, so alcohol sponsorship of sport, um, is a really sort of fascinating one. Um, in terms of its controversy, <laughs> because of the fact that it is, you know, 
children watch sport, they aspire to be that person, it's got the branding everywhere. Uh, but often in on the sporting side, getting funding to do anything, even mm. at a grassroots level, is really difficult. Yep. And actually, if we could be promoting alcohol and then the drink, you know, this is where it gets controversial, but actually it would be better if we were promoting sport, healthy lifestyles alongside healthy consumption. Um, Matt's already smiling at me, but it it doesn't always go that way and that's where it gets really different. You know, my argument is always like we're really happy for Steinlanger Pure to um, to promote America's Cup because we look at sailing as something that's fine and classy, it's okay, you know. But as soon as we get into some of the sports like league or rugby, all of a sudden we start going, oh, that looks a bit dodge. Because of the way, as I said, because of the way that they bond over alcohol and they celebrate the intoxication as opposed to the finer qualities of it. Um, and we, well, let's not go back over that, that conversation. But, you know, I, I want to live in your world, Pollyanna. I want to, you know, I want to, I, I want to live in the world where you can responsibly promote a healthy lifestyle and the players aren't going to get into a well, drunken we, brawl. And if we look at craft brands that it, we've got so many small craft breweries now sponsoring sport yep. at, of yep. all different yep. – of junior, um, cricket, AFL. Like that's been some of the big announcements, some of the big partnerships. And you talk – the conversation with Harry Sexton and Matilda Bay. We want to support our local community. Yep. We want to get into more clubs. So the brands are doing it in a genuine, A, brand in hand, but B, like how do we embed ourselves in things that are important to the community? Local sport is important to the community. But as I always talk about, you know, it's not the thing, it's the way the thing is done. I agree, um, agree. And this, and, and, and this is part of the problem, is that you've got the players in the changing rooms with the big Tui's um, uh, esky that's filled with beer and they're going to that and necking it on television. It's not celebrating, you know, it, it's not talking about building the community. And, for, and to, to be fair, 4X has done a very good job. That was why they put the postcodes on. They wanted to say we are – so the whatever postcode the, the, player, the player was, from. was yeah. from, which is really you – know, we are part of that community. And they do do a lot of in, – in, in the community. So, like, I'm not having a go at alcohol and sponsorship, but it does become problematic when that's not consistently – and the players don't get the memo, for example, or, you know, the, the messaging can be a little bit murky. Um but, you know, I was very critical a couple of years ago at uh, an award ceremony for the brewing industry that for the first time we had politicians there celebrating the Queensland brewing industry and a bunch of young brewers got up on stage and shotgunned beers, you know, smashing a tinny or shoeys and inviting the politicians up on stage to do that. And I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen at a wine event. And that has a huge impact when, as an industry, you go, hold on, we're, we're, we're good actors. Don't legislate against alcohol. And the politician that you're sort of speaking to goes, hold on, weren't you the bloke that was up on stage inviting me to shotgun a tin of beer with you? Mm. But um, I think to your point, Jim, I think it's incredibly complex is the answer. Absolutely. Like it's really well, difficult. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Behave yourselves. Well, how do you feel? So the... Gold Coast Marathon, which is the biggest marathon in Australia, was sponsored yep. by Nort. Yep. yep. So the finish line was, yeah, Nort, beer, Nort on the But that's taking a page out of the athletics, the, the mm. athletic umbrella. And it, it yep. makes sense. And yep. for and it's also Erdinger, um, you know, 20 years ago. I, I think Erdinger was the beer that used to sponsor the Hawaiian Ironman. Um, and you'd cross, and it was, it was actually marketed not as a beer, but as an isotonic sports drink. Um, because it was fermented and, you know, yeast adds um, nutrition to the basic ingredients. It's got minerals, it's got all these things and no alcohol. Um, and so they didn't, that, that's the way they actually market it, which was a huge, which was, a, you know, one of those things that's hugely powerful and incorporating a classic beer brand into a lifestyle for positive reasons was... But also like, I mean, God, if you've just run, what is it, 40 kilometres? 42.2. 42.2. One beer is probably okay. And this happens to be a non-alc beer, but like you know, I, I just it's, it's all in the execution it's of all that, it, it, yeah, the absolutely. way you do it. Yeah. But also, you know, did you cross the line? I didn't, I didn't run it. <laughs> I'd reach for a beer. I, I, I would, but no, sorry. It was really interesting to see last night the the sponsorship because you know dollars follow um, successful businesses, and you know, so alcohol 
has money. Um, crypto. You know, you had crypto banners around, which surprised me given the current market. But, you know, the Super Bowl was sponsored by crypto. So, you know, you, you've got all of these things and, you know, there's something. I'm so pleased that this is not a um, crypto podcast um, business, yeah. I'm actually amazed that craft breweries haven't started doing their own crypto. Well. Instead of equity crowdfunding. Well, you know that there's a whole bunch of them that have done all sorts of NFT-related stuff, which is sort of... they gone. I'm not going to... Let's just park <laughs> I can that. Barely, I can barely keep up with all of it, the NFT stuff, and, and I just feel like I'm getting old. I feel like I'm... Welcome to the club. Bridging Jimmy into Gold. that age, yeah. Wait till we start. So, so you, you were meant to be the voice of a new generation for uh, us. Oh, man. Nah. Wait till we move on from crypto to like Web3 and, you know, Ethereum's dying and what now we're you, talking about Web3. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are those words Fortunately, mean? we don't need NFTs because we've got equity crowdfunding. <laughs> do we want to talk? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think we do. Well, I think just I, I, make I'm the I'm just going to say yeah. two new announcements this week, one coming, you know, if you need some easy, cheap cash, you know, now's the time to do it because the mar- you know, when we're talking about markets flooding, I think the uh, equity crowdfunding market is flooding as well. And so, so there are going to be... So all, all through virtual. Um, you so know, there are going to be two new equity crowd well, funds in the beer industry. Two new have been announced this week right. and I'm aware of at least one other um, coming down the pipeline, mm-hmm. um, all with virtual. And I, you know, again... We, we've spoken to Birchall um, on their brewery valuation. They described it as a brave new world. Heard that phrase a few times for things that haven't worked out terribly, terribly well. Um, but anyway, um, good luck to the brews. The, actually, the thing that I do find interesting, and I don't, I don't want to do a whole um, equity crowdfunding thing again, the thing that I do find interesting is that a couple of the breweries that have equity crowdfunded have done so to finance expansions of their venues. You know, their one venue places that are looking at you know I, I think three ravens is one they're going to perth um brendan um o'sullivan who's a very good brewer a you know, very talented brewer perth boy um they're going to open a brewery in perth now sounds great except perth is a wash in great breweries already i can't believe how many um not a house ad but um the journalists here regularly do the brewery radar keeping yep. abreast of um breweries in planning around the country and uh, the brewery, there are a sig- significant number of breweries in WA um, already, and we just heard that um, Matilda Bay, uh, you know, really wanting to make sure that their presence in in WA is yep. um, y- solidified. You've got three Ravens talking about. I mean, I think that's going to become a pretty tough market over there, um, yep. and you've got some fairly large breweries there that are already distributing fairly well. Quite apart from Perth itself, which, you know, is, is a pretty you – know, any market is pretty crowded at the moment. No one's going into – or very few breweries are going into Dapto or, you know, Thargaminda and opening a brewery. They're all going into markets that are pretty well serviced for, yeah. for local breweries. But to, to the point that um, Peter, uh, who was a former chair of the uh, IBA, actually <laughs> said that, you know, yes, we want more breweries, just not in my backyard <laughs> kind of thing, not in Sydney's inner west and not um, – but then also they're announcing plans. I think Three Ravens, in an article I read in the newspaper, said that they're also looking at Sydney and Mel- and Brisbane brewery, uh, Sydney and Brisbane venues, and that was you know the strategy that um, Batch Brewing, you know they, they called it a hub and spoke model. Um, Bridge Road, you know, was crowdfunding. It it, it sounds like venues that you know, breweries that aren't growing. There is a mindset, and no criticism leveled at any of the ones I just mentioned, but I'm just highlighting those to give examples that this is a increase. We get a lot of media releases, we hear a lot of people's strategies, and a lot of breweries are basing their growth hopes on opening their own venues, um, you know, like Brewdog did. But that seems to be because we, well, we can't get taps, we can't get regular taps if we own the venue. I was speaking to one brewery this week, um, and they sort of said, look, the amount of time and effort you need to go to to make the same money on your venue, just the, the, the and the change of focus from the making of the beer, um, particularly with hospitality, particularly yeah. with all of the, um, you know, but particularly with the lack of staff at the moment, it's not a profit winner. And yet this seems to be one of those things, oh, they're doing it, they seem to be doing well. 
I don't know what their balance sheet is. I don't know what their profit is because they're not telling anyone, but they seem to be looking successful. That's a strategy that I'm going to follow as well. And, you know, Jim, when I heard, I heard that when Felons opened, you know, it's a huge venue, 2,000 person venue, that I, I think it was a Forex rep or somebody who knew um, a Forex rep said that there was like 200 kegs a week was taken from surrounding venues because you've opened a new event because and it, like unless felons is bringing more people out and this was before your time but it's a big venue unless a venue like felons is bringing more people out and growing the market for hospitality mm. that volume is coming from somewhere um is that you know w- w- what do you think about yeah that? no like absolutely i mean that's but that's always going to happen right there's always going to be something new that'll come along there's so many stories of the local shop that was there and then all of a sudden the supermarket opened next door and all of a sudden guess what yep you know and that's mm. you know that's the sort of unpredictable and un, sometimes unfair nature of business mm. i guess um but there's no reason that little shop can't survive as long as you know what you're doing and that's the thing with anyone kind of jumping into hospitality please do it if you know what you're doing yeah. but maybe talk to people before you just jump in and think it's really easy running a pub because it's really not um and I think that's often the case. People get into this and go, oh, how hard can it be? It's just beers and food and just whatever. Slinging beers, yeah, just, just slinging booze, Slinging mate. booze, mate. <laughs> and then uh, guess what? It's really difficult, if you, especially if you don't know what you're doing. You know, I would never go and open a, you know, whatever industry store because I don't know what I'm doing, you know, unless I was really, really passionate. And even then, I would still assume it's going to be quite hard and I would talk to a lot of people in the industry about what's going on and probably do some pretty good business study on that and go, well, actually, I've, I've kind of summed it up and no, that doesn't sound like a good idea. It sounds like a lot of hard work. I think, you know, to your point, you, you know, we often talk about um, people who come from outside industry going, I'm going to make beers because I've got a cool brand. It's really similar moving on to the hospitality side just because you make good beer doesn't necessarily make... I you're love gonna have sitting a great- in pubs and it looks like fun working in that pub. I'm going to open a pub. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like... But I also think um, this new model um, that people are looking at is in response to the thing that you're talking about, which is it's hard to get taps, but it's also hard to get shelf space in retail. So yeah. the idea that that um, even five years ago people thought that they were going to move into – they'd have a venue, they'd increase production, they'd uh, package their product, they would get nationally ranged and that's how they were going to grow – that has – there are – because of the volume of breweries um, and because of the uh, lack of national retail space um, and the chokehold that uh, the duopoly have on the industry there, um, actually then going, well, w- if we can't get nationally ranged, we can't become big in that way, what yep. is our alternative option? Let's and own our own taps. The only alternative option is, is to – is to control um, distribution yourself through having another venue. And so actually this is a sign of where we are in the market in terms of it is so hard to grow now. People have already invested into the growth or expected a certain level of growth mm. in all of their modelling. Well, we needed to reach economies of scale on the brewing side um, to make money. So now we better have another venue because we can't distribute. But we are going to be seeing this um, – you know, it's really interesting. The next one of the next mailbags we've got relates to increasing cost pressures. I just think you know we cannot sustain the growth in the number of breweries that we have, and every one of those breweries saying we're also going to grow without new consumers coming from somewhere because the the market is looking really saturated and the distribution channels are looking really challenging. Just outside of the general excitement that craft beer has enjoyed can you think of any industry initiatives that have grown designed to grow the market you know that i feel that um tourism initiatives Mm. are designed to grow the market in a way that you're reaching out to foodies and experienced people and bringing them to where they might have skipped over craft beer to just go to wine or something else so i think that is one initiative and that's happening in pockets in places Um, certainly I think there's that. I think there's a 1% attraction through, um, you know, offering adjacent products, um, other, alk, uh, other adult beverage products. So that's eking out 
you know, another 1%. But there is certainly no major, um, and we hear this from breweries in beer as a conversation and all the time and, and through work that Brews News does, um, even in some of these lesson learned ones. Um, and I think that links back events. So major, it's funny, I was having this discussion with an event organiser recently, 10 years ago, um, and you had it with David Cry. Uh, these major beer events came about as a way to introduce, get your product in front of consumers so that they would then go and ask for it in hospitality venues and it was a route to market. Um, We then got saturated with events. All of the events looked the same. And the mindset I hear from brewers is what am I going to make out of this event as opposed to what is the downstream benefits to the industry from this whole event. And people feel like, you know, now with um, direct-to-consumer, there are so many other ways to get your hand. And that kind of went, I actually think we're starting to see that tip over again in that um, consumers are so saturated with information um, yeah. that the two retail chains have so much control over what's being presented to them that people are actually back going to events to get new consumer experiences and to find new products. So I actually think we're... we're about to tip over into that. So that's the other one. Tourism, large-scale events of the right kind to reach yep. new audiences um, and, you know, products that are adjacent that might bring someone to your community. But it's really tough bringing people to the category of beer. I mean, our ATO stats tell us that the category of beer has not grown. And people are drinking less. People are drinking less alcohol. Mm. And so, you know, back to this question of, what is the market that we are talking about? Um, where are the boundaries of what would be considered our, the beer industry's market now is really, um, really difficult to even understand in, you know, you can't be plotting your old competitive landscape. Oh, there's the big two brewers. They own these 12 hotels. Our competitors are these six and therefore our approach is going to be why. That old school sort of strategic mapping of, of how to pick your play is, is fundamentally changing at the moment. That's what I would think anyway. <laughs> nice answer. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't pay you by the word. <laughs> Actually, speaking of which, a nice little article from our producer, Vivian Topalovich, Lessons Learned, which is a new... We've always followed breweries a year after they open just to see, really to see what they've learned um, you know, after it. And we've really drill down into that a little bit so um Bowden Brewing um Vivian spoke to them after their first year and learned some really interesting uh lessons about seasonal preparation you know looking at what the calendar holds and preparing for that and then production scaling and uh there was an interesting quote that came from it you have to be looking at least six weeks ahead in planning certain styles to fill your board out ready to go if you hit winter and you don't have any dark beers on board you've sort of missed the boat already there as well he said a little bit of planning trying to predict what will sell and how much will sell until you strike a bit of a balance and i guess part of me having watched the industry for a long time thinks well that's a really obvious thing you know beer takes time to make you need to be looking at what's going to be selling in summer you know in the middle of winter so you can plan your production channels but again it's 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 also a very important lesson that if you are opening a brewery yeah it's also so you know i just feel like yeah i read that and went yeah of course but then you i also remember like i've been a part of two openings and and of my time and it's so the first year just flies like it is so crazy especially i'm assuming these guys are kind of hands-on owner operator yep. mm-hmm. man it's like it just click your fingers and it's gone and you probably only just feel like you're getting your head around how everything works and you know what has to happen. And you probably spend the next three years really going, oh, hey, it's going to get cold soon. Let's do a dark beer. Like it, honestly, it sounds so simplified, but that's actually the the nature of this game. And it is you sort of get on that treadmill and it doesn't really stop. And then eventually you get to the point where you go, let's actually look a bit bigger picture. What are we doing for the next three months, six months, twelve months? Yep. I read that and go. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that's <laughs> and it's like, you know, it is very, very tricky. But Very few breweries that I've seen, you know, you speak to the owners in the lead up, and they, these are the beers that I love, these are the beers I'm going to make. And then they open and your plan can only survive the people who walk through the door. And to some extent, your customers control your brewery as much as you do because if they want something different, if they want to pick up something different to you than what you're putting down, you either have to try and bring new customers in or serve the ones that you've got. I remember providing advice to, um, so just on this production planning, providing advice to a brewery. They had created their core product with one American hop. 
and they'd launched a brand based on the back of this had beer. Had they contracted that hop? Exactly. So they hadn't <laughs> contract they hadn't forward contracted that hop. And so really basic things on the production side, which might be um, we're now going to make this our flagship product. Uh, I'm just going to pick Citra. It's a Citra. Um, you haven't a hop for contracted because you've never you've never thought I might need that hop in perpetuity for the next two years because you're thinking how do I get through the next three months I'm going to make dark beers forgetting that that's the product that you've built your brand on and so the production side isn't just sort of what are the consumers going to want and and I'll put my beer in the tanks earlier it's well then have I got the ingredients that I want and so it's really basic things like if you're launching don't launch your product don't Make your flagship product a single hopped beer. Have a blend. Don't tell anyone what the blend is so that you can tweak as you manage your product. Like there are really basic things for opening a brewery that if you've never spent time thinking about it, you don't know. know. You're just executing. You're just like... Yeah, there's some really fantastic resources for people planning on opening a brewery um, on Facebook and things like that. And, you know, it's really, really handy resource. But then I look at some of the questions that people are very well down the planning or construction track that are still asking. And it worries me when you look at some of the, some of the things that they haven't planned into their, um, you know, and, and they've committed money and resources and breweries and, you know, that and they still haven't worked out some of those things. It sounds like they've never worked in a brewery themselves and their first experience of hospitality or running a brewery will be you know, will be theirs and that worries me because they haven't got some of those you know it, it is but it's like any business right yeah, any business starts and you go oh we're going to do all of these things and then you're five years and on it's going to be so fun and it's going to be so fun <laughs> and then you're like oh god i haven't written those policies and procedures oh i've got a new person starting i don't have onboarding practices oh, i've got how do i do it, you're not it, talking about my business, are you? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, but all sorts of businesses. I'm just making the point that anyone can start doing anything and when you're working in it, as you said, Jimmy, it's But I hard. think the days of bootstrapping everything, up, the, the market has moved on from the early days of we're a passionate band of ragtag irregulars, you know, fighting against the corporate monstrosities. You can probably download a how to start a venue, how to start a brewery, you know, for dummies book or whatever and read it, read the whole thing 10 yep. times. There's still going to be something that's not in that book that just comes on across your table, you know. Even reading the, you know, like I've read the Hospitality Award 10 times. It's 110 pages long. But, man, it's I still don't understand it. Like, and that's how you pay your staff. Yeah, like, there's so, we have a whole HR team for that. So, it's like, hey, I need to check this thing in the award. They're like, yeah, hey, that's Page 64, <laughs> section Z, oh God. Like. If, if the questions were that sophisticated, I wouldn't probably raise the point. But these are a little bit more basic than that. I don't know. I mean, to your point of um, can you bootstrap everything, uh, not to jump on our favourite bandwagon at the moment or something that is timely in the news, but um, you can bootstrap it by equity crowdfunding it and people will still give you money. So How long is that going to last? Anyway. But that is bootstrapping. That's the new version of bootstrapping, right? Go out and get money. Bootstrapping the finance. I'm talking about bootstrapping the whole business. Right. Sort of just, you know, a couple of mates in a garage, knocking out a couple of beers, you know, scaling it up. You know, that the the, the narrative that is the bedrock of the foundation of the early craft well, people are still trying it they're still but opening that's what i'm saying is that if you if, if you still think that you've got the same length of runway to make those mistakes in the current market i just because fewer retailers fewer tap points more competition less and and we've got you know a very very changeable economic situation yeah so, i think um, economics I, once, I once i once worked with a, a, a venue that was opening and they were it was Every no no dollar not spent on every part of the whole thing. So wage consultants, like mm. everything. The company who owned it were yeah, anyway. A lot of every eye was on it. Got to three days before opening, I look up, I go, guys, where are the speakers? And I go, What do you mean? For the music. It's a venue. Oh oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> we need music, don't we? Yeah, you need music. <laughs> so JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing, you know, everything else, but, you know, I, I again. Know. I know, look, but you, no one's perfect and no plan survives, yeah. but I'm just sort of saying that, yeah. Now, just say you open a brewery. Yep. And you had one hop and you couldn't get that hop and you had to change your packaging 
to reflect the actual new hop bill. Oh, seltzer. Start making seltzer. <laughs> And then you can make a non-alcoholic seltzer. That sounds like a problem that our friends at... Rallings, label stickers and packaging might be able to help out. But not just shrink wrap sleeves. If you've listened to this podcast, and you do, you know about their shrink wrap sleeves. What you may not know about is that with hundreds of beers on offer these days, it is the branding and product recognition that is now putting pressure on the marketing. How do you promote your award-winning beers in an easy-to-recognize manner? At the bar, at the eyeline of patrons. They would suggest colourful decals, highlighting your brand and your product. Rallings does a weekly decal order, and it's decal, not decal. We've established that. I've, I actually spoke to the guys at Rallings. It's oh, decal. good. Great. So it's decal if you're making a little plastic model aeroplane. Yeah. And it's a decal if you're talking. If Great. you walk into a pub, say decal. Glad we squared that off. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was mad. sleepless. It, that's <laughs> why I couldn't sleep last night. It, it, it did cause discussion. <laughs> But Rallings not only know how to pronounce decal, they know how to order them for you. They do a weekly decal order run of the standard decal shapes in 3mm white PVC foam board. Get your order and artwork in by midday on Tuesday and by the weekend, your consumers can be seeing your beautiful artwork at taps around your favourite city or in your own bar. They can also do a variety of decal shapes in ACM and resin. However, custom orders usually take longer to produce. Remember, they also specialise in can and carton labels, shrink sleeves applied to cans, and they're ready to fill along with a variety of other applications. If you want to find out more, call the team on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au or just look at your phone in the show notes or on the Bruce News uh, brewery directory. This podcast has taught me something. What's that? I'm going to start my own non-alcoholic brand and I'm going to call Rallings. I'm going to call it NoX because my surname's Gold. So NoX Gold. It's a non-alcoholic beer seltzer brand. I'm going to have 10 tap rooms. Yep. All within 100 metres of each other. And you're going to equity crowdfund the whole thing. That's right. On a $120 million valuation. And I'll send you guys a four-pack each. What sort of pack clips are you going to do? No clips. I'm saving the world with this drink. Yeah. So you're not going to use like recycled sugarcane ones? No. Okay. Now, quickly, we're running up against time. Before we do go, we do have to do a Brewery of the Week. Move from Beer of the Week because there are so many beers. We wanted to talk about celebrate some of the breweries. And not only did we want to celebrate some of our favourite breweries, our good friends at Bluestone Yeast um, who bring you Brewery of the Week – Bluestone Yeast is the only liquid yeast manufacturer that takes responsibility for delivery. If the yeast doesn't arrive in perfect condition, you, then you don't get charged. So when COVID played havoc with logistics this year, and I think continues to do, and compromised yeast shipments, Bluestone Yeast bore the cost of the lost yeast, not the brewery. If you want to find out more about how they can guarantee that and their special packaging, you can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518-3172 and talk all things Bluestone Yeast. Again, show notes or on our brewery directory. Um, Jimmy, have you got Jim Gold? You, know, you spend a lot of time visiting venues and stealing good ideas to yep. uh, apply to your own. That's um, right. Any breweries that you have been to that you'd like to celebrate? I went to Grifter Brewing Company in Marrickville in Sydney a little while ago. Been there many times. Love it. Love it more every time I go. I've had a bit of a pay-in to them. I, I spoke to them, God, the, the years past. It was last year um, I spoke to Grifter because they're one of the really quiet achievers in the brewing industry. And you go in their lovely little tap room. Yep. Very pool, unpretentious. Pool table. I, I, I don't think we've ever got a media release from them, but can, yet... Can you describe, like, is it industrial? Very is industrial, it? warehouse. Um, yeah, look, it, it, it's, a, it's a very warehouse. It's not... It, it, it's very craft brewery. Um, it's very beautiful in. too. It's yeah. they, they they nail this kind of yeah. You're in a warehouse in a down a street in Marrickville, but it's I don't know black and orange tiles and a pool table and really friendly. You mean staff they don't have white subway tiles like every other venue? No, it must have been out of white. They just got <laughs> black and orange. But that's their whole. It, I don't know. It just that's carries it, yeah. their aesthetic and their brand perfectly through the whole thing. It's the little touches and nailing the beers as well. Nailing absolutely nailing the beers. Great so recommendation. Highly recommended. If you're in, and yeah, and it, like if you're doing the Inner West uh, Brewery Trail, and there's some great breweries down there. Um, this week, no, next week, we've got a podcast with Filter. So next week, which is another, um, not our Brewery of the Week. It could be Brewery next week Maybe when we speak week. to the, on, on the Beers Conversation. I did go to Filter also, and it was pretty bloody good. It's a lovely venue. So, and you'll hear a lot about Filter on the Beers of Conversation uh, next week. But this week, the beer, the Brewery of the Week is 
Grifter Brewing Company. Grifter Brewing Company. And brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Now, that is our show for the week. God, for, for very little uh, news this week, um, we've managed to fill up the hour. Um, once upon a time, it was half an hour. We've gone an hour. So if you're out there running sales calls, I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you to me, your host, <laughs> Matt Kierkegaard. So Thank I'm, you. I'm just trying to get back on script. Um, and I just realised your host had been me, Matt Kierkegaard. So big pat on the back, me. Well done, you. Um, well done, you, Sabrina Kunz. And well done, and thank you to joining us again, Jimmy Gold. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Yakima Chief Hops, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all to you for listening. You can share your thoughts on this show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au. And if we have read out your email or we've commented on anything that you've shared in our Facebook group, just drop us a note with your postal address so we can send you a bar blade. Um, and you can also leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. With that, we're out. <laughs>